0: evening. If you would take your Bibles and open with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12 is where we'll base our study this evening. I'd like to take this opportunity here at the beginning to thank the elders of the congregation and everybody here this evening for allowing me the opportunity to stand before you and to speak to you a portion of God's word. And that's my desire, to speak to you in accordance with his word. So I invite you to take your Bibles and follow along with the things that are being said. As we begin, these two verses here in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, are going to be the basis for our study. Let's read those verses now. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When I think of these verses, this is the foundation for what Paul writes the rest of his book on. In chapters 12 through 16 of the book of Romans, he really gives some various exhortation to the brethren here about what Christian living looks like. And they're based upon this foundation that he establishes here in chapter 12. Now, the Roman brethren, he describes in chapter 1 and verse 8 as a people whose faith has been spoken of throughout the whole world. These are people of a a very great faith, yet he still finds it necessary to remind them of these things. So I think there's things in these two verses that will help us this evening. So tonight, we're going to be talking about what it really means to be a living sacrifice to God. Now he begins there by saying I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God. So for these two verses before he before he gives anything else there's this therefore statement. And the therefore he's talking about the mercy of God. Just before this in Romans chapter 11 there's this illustration that I wa- I wanted to talk to you about this evening. There's this illustration of an olive tree. There's three parts that he speaks of. He speaks of the root. He speaks of the natural branches and the wild branches. now the root that he's speaking of here has to do with Christ. The natural branches are of the Jews, and the wild branches are those representative of the Gentiles. And that's really what he's dealing with throughout the book of Romans. He's talking there's a lot to do with the difference in the Jews and the Gentiles and the unity that they have in Christ. But in this specific illustration, he talks of how the natural branches have been broken off from that root and cast away, and how these wild branches have been grafted in. Now he tells these wild branches that have been grafted in, he tells them to be careful because if God can break off these natural branches and cast them away, they can be broken off and cast away as well. He says, but don't boast because those natural branches which have been cast away... He says, if I have the power to graft you into, this, into Christ, into this life in Christ, into that root, if He has the power to bring them in, He has the power to graft those natural branches back in too. Now, I think that illustration that He uses there in chapter 11 is really what He's a good illustration of God's mercy that He, he makes this therefore statement of. He, he talks about how God, His willingness to bring those back in to Christ. When they're willing to to live to his standard. Now he says, by the mercies of God, he goes on to say that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now there's Jewish and Gentile brethren here, but I think they all would have understood really what a sacrifice was. Especially the Jews, they would have understood God's standard for sacrifices. It would have been what they had practiced throughout their life before they were converted to Christianity. They would have understood that a lot of times these sacrifices in the Old Testament had to do with offering of an animal. It had to do with the death of something. In regards to the animal, he speaks of things, his requirements were that they were without blemish, without spot, the firstborn of the grain offering and things of those natures, he speaks of the first fruit being offered. Really the idea that God expects the very best, the most valuable that you might want to keep for yourself in these Old Testament sacrifices, God required the very best from us, or from them at that time. But we, we come to understand in places such as Hebrews chapter 10, that Christ's sacrifice did away with those sacrifices of old. God's will was not for the blood of bulls and goats to be carried out, but that Christ would come and do away with those and and be the ultimate sacrifice that, that was once for all, he says there in Hebrews chapter 10. So there's kind of this paradox here that he's talking about. There's a sacrifice, something that they would have equated with death, but he tells them to be a living sacrifice. See, I think the Bible can be its own commentary here. Turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul also penned this letter here to the Corinthian brethren. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse number 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And speaking of the sacrifice of Christ there, and in verse 15 he says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. See, so he, he he really paints what this is supposed to look like. He talks about Christ's sacrifice and, and the, how, how those people had died with Christ through his sacrifice, their alive. In his death, is the idea that he's speaking of, those who are alive because of his death should no longer live for their own selfish ambition, their selfishness, but rather they, they live with a new mindset, they live for the will of Christ. They, they understand what Christ's will is for them. Paul echoes very similarly these thoughts in the, the letter to the Colossian brethren. Turn over to the book of Colossians in chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So very similar language there at the beginning. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. But you can't just seek those things above. He's going to go on here and tell them that there's things that they have to put away from themselves. Read with me in verse 5. He says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now... You yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You see, he starts to establish this analogy of an old man. He's going to go on and talk about this new man again, the things that he was referencing in verses one through four. But he, he references these things that they were walking in, the fornication, the the. Uh, The passion, the evil desire, and covetousness, which he describes as idolatry, the anger, wrath, malice, the lying, all those things. He he says that they walked in those things, and because of those things, the wrath of God is coming, so they're to put those things off. They're the things of the old man, and they're to put those things away from him, is what he's saying here. So fill in the blank for yourself. What are the things that, that you need to put off? He goes on here with the analogy in verse number 10. He talks about putting off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So they've put off. This old man which they once walked in and they put on this new man because they've been raised with Christ. They put on this new man with a new mindset. And Christ is the focus. It, it, it reminds me of what's said in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Where he says to put off the weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. We're to lay off those things that are holding us back, similarly to the Colossian brethren, to the Corinthian brethren, to what he's saying to the Roman brethren. Lay aside those things that that qualify here as the old man of sin. Be made this new creature with a new focus that looks to Christ, that has his mind set on those things above, living your life to Christ's standard. And that's what he goes on to talk about here in Romans chapter 12. He describes this sacrifice of one which is holy. The idea of something being holy is something which is set apart. It's something that's different. It's something that's really special is kind of the idea. But he goes on to say that it's also acceptable to God. This word acceptable has to do with the idea of something which is well-pleasing or agreeable to so it's, so, replace that with agreeable, maybe. So it's it's agreeable to God. It's well pleasing to Him. It's the idea that it's under His standard. It it's what He desires from us. That's what that sacrifice is to look like. I think of it being kind of that holy, you know, full circle. It's it's everything unto Him. Look at Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six and verse number twenty four. Jesus says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You see, there's this very distinct thing. We, we can't have it both ways. I think sometimes we try that a little bit, but it doesn't work. Jesus very clearly says, you know, it's, it's me or that God or mammon. You can't serve both for you to be wholly acceptable unto God. You have to choose to serve him and only him. But he doesn't stop there. He calls it your reasonable service. When I think of that, I think of the mercy of God that he's talked about before. Because of God's mercy, you know, this this is really nothing that he's asking of us. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Over in Hebrews chapter 9, referenced chapter 10 earlier, and really the end of chapter 9, going into chapter 10, all has to do with the superiority of Christ's sacrifice. In verse number 28 of Hebrews chapter 9, the writer says, So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. You see, Christ has come. He sacrificed Himself. His offering... In His offering, He bore the sins of many. And in those who eagerly wait for Him, He says, He's going to come again for them, apart from sin, and bring that salvation. The idea is continued in chapter 10. And in verse number 10, He says, By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, Christ's sacrifice happened once, and it's it's once for all. This is exactly what he says. Once for all time is the idea. Through his offering, we can be sanctified. That's what the mercy of God's representing here in Romans chapter 12 and verse number one. It's God's mercy in, in the sacrifice of his son, his willingness to bring us in and sanctify us, and to bring us that salvation if we wait for him, right? He's saying because of those great things which Christ and God are doing for us, this is really nothing that he's asking of us. You see, we can't work out our own, we can't, we can't earn Our salvation, rather. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, in verse number 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We understand he speaks of faith here. Faith is active. Faith has works. We understand that from passages such as James chapter 2. When we are faithful to God, it's, it's active. There are works. But the works he's speaking of here, he's saying that there's nothing that we can do to earn that salvation. The salvation that is, is given to us is exactly that. It's a gift. It's not something that we can earn, but it's because of God's love for us that he's, he's offering it as a gift. Okay, so, so we can't earn our salvation. Nothing we can do can save ourselves. But, but God's grace and his mercy has ex- opened that door to us. And so we have this reasonable service to do. We can live for Christ. It's really not that much to ask in comparison to what God has done for us. Now he goes on with these same ideas in verse number two here. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. He's offering yourself as a sacrifice to God, very similarly. Don't be conformed to the world. Now that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. I think of first Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we're warned to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When we can't physically see the devil, you know, walking down Main Street out here in the in the form of a lion. Metaphorically that's exactly what he is. He's hunting us and he's looking for our weaknesses. Very similarly to how a lion hunts. The lion stalks out his prey in the herd and he doesn't go attack the strongest animal. He attacks what's weak, what's being left behind. He looks for the weak spot and that's where he attacks. Now, metaphorically, that's exactly what the devil's doing. He is a lion which is looking for our own weaknesses, looking for the areas where he can get his foothold and attack us. See, and he wants to devour us into the world and conform us to their ways. I mean, you just look around and you think about what's going on in our society today, and all this immorality and corruptness is being normalized and accepted, and when you don't accept those things, you're looked down upon. I think of... I mean, just off the top of my head, you think of things like homosexuality and transgenderism. You know, you're a homophobe if you, don't, if you don't accept those things and tolerate them and agree with them. You see, but God very clearly calls those things sin in the scripture. The world normalizes sexual relationships outside of marriage. And we see them all over the place in TV shows and movies and things like that. Drugs and alcohol and things like there's. there's it's all over TV and movies. It's in commercials. And every time you see it, you see people having a good time. It's, it's very, you know, by the world's standard, attractive people having a good time. You know, the world wants us to think that these sinful things are good and right and okay and acceptable. And then they, they think about God and who He is, and they try to make God what they want Him to be. Well, You know, going back to the homosexuality example, you know, I love who I love, and Jesus is okay with that because Jesus is love. I mean, they misunderstand and misuse who God is, and and it's plastered all around us, and they want us to accept that and conform to those ways. But I can't help but think about what's said in Proverbs chapter 4. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 4. The writer here in verse number 23 says to keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issue of life. You see what goes into the heart, what goes inside of us will come out. So we need to keep it. We need to guard it. We can't let all this corruptness into us, even through, through our activities that we partake in, going to the movies and watching TV, our social media usage, all this immorality and stuff, it's accepted in those areas. And I'm not calling those things wrong. There's, there's, there's certainly you know, good movies and good TV shows and stuff like that. And social media can have its good uses, but we need to be careful because what we let in, Will come out. See, but it's not only those things that are around us; it's it's people around us. You see, the proverb writer warns us in Proverbs chapter twelve, in verse number twenty six. He says, "The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the wicked or for the way of the wicked leads them astray." Very similarly to what's said in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, in verse number thirty three, "Do not be deceived." Evil company corrupts good habits. See, the people we surround ourselves with, you know, we we come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. and, And through the rest of the week, think about who we're around. A lot of times it's people of the world, people with worldly mindsets, people with focus is not upon Jesus. But he says to be careful of those people who we surround ourselves with. Because they can lead us astray, they can, they can destroy the good habits that we think that we have we 're told to let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls we can 't always just you know make make things okay you know it 's okay that i 'm watching this show or this movie or or it 's okay that i 'm hanging around those people because you know I know i 'm not going to do those things. We need to take heed because evil company corrupts good habits and and the people we surround ourselves. Can lead us astray and, and those things we let in will make themselves manifest. And we need to we need to be aware of the eternal consequence of conformity to the world. Turn with me over to James, the book of James. In James chapter four and verse four. James writes of of the really dire consequence of conformity to the world. He says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, when we conform to the world, that's exactly what we're doing. We're making ourselves an enemy of our creator, an enemy of the Most High and Almighty God. And that should be a scary thing. See, we think about the consequences of our actions that are immediate. We think about it, you know, if I take a stand against these things, then people of the world, you know, they'll, they'll look at me as weird and different and not the same as them and stuff like that. Well, these pa- this passage is telling us that's exactly what we should want to look like. But more than that, Jesus, look what, look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, there's an eternal consequence much greater than even the sacrifice of our own life. And that's eternal punishment in hell fire. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 31 tells us it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. See, we should be afraid to conform to the ways of the world. We shouldn't be afraid to take a stand against those things. We shouldn't be afraid to put on clothes that cover us up and to use speech that, that we would use if Jesus were in the room and, and to just act like a Christian. We shouldn't be ashamed to do that. But rather, we should be afraid of what happens when we don't. But he doesn't stop with telling us not to be conformed with the world. He tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. See, the Bible tells us exactly what our mindset is to be. We're looking at this already back in Colossians chapter 3 and with those other ideas of being that living sacrifice. Our mindset is to be on things above and not on things of this earth. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8 furthers some of these ideas. The writer says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. See, it tells us what to have on our minds and have on our hearts. It's these things, these things which are good and pure and just and righteous. These things of virtue. These are the things that we're to be meditating on. See, we don't get those things by spending all of our time with people of the world. We don't get those things by spending all of our time in movies and TV shows and social media and things like that. We get those things from the scriptures. See, James tells us in James chapter 1 exactly what our attitude is to be towards the Bible. Turn with me over there to James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. See, I think this sounds familiar to the things we've been talking about. Lay aside those things, the things of the world and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. So he starts by telling us to lay aside these things and receive the word. See, but we can't just hear the Word. We can't just skim through the Bible every now and then. We can't just open the Bible when we're here at services. See, we've got to be in the Word. He tells us that those who are just hearers of the Word, those who just skim through it every now and then, they're like the person that looks in the mirror and goes away forgetting what they look like. He tells us in verse number 25, he says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. The word look here that he's using, it has to do with getting down into it, stooping down into the word. You know, you you can't just take it at base level. You have to get into the word and not immediately forget it. But you have to keep it on your minds and the word should lead to action. You can't just be a hearer. You must be a doer of the word. See, we need to transform ourselves from the inside out. We renew our mindsets by filling it with Scripture, and the Scripture should lead us to take action. See, and that's, I think, what he's talking about here. He tells us that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, when we, when we let the Scripture you know, do its work, when we really get into it, we will act. And we'll be able to prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. We think of Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 14. See, we're to be lights to the world. He says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So we got to live that life. The, the, the others can see Christ living in us. See, Christ is the light that's within us. It is kind of the metaphor in the, how that we're lights. OK, so so we need to be living in a way where people can see that we can't live as a light, but under a basket. We can't live as a light only when we're in these walls here. We've got to be a light to the world, a light where others can see Christ. They can see that good and acceptable and perfect will of God by how we're living our lives. See, that doesn't minimize the need for teaching the gospel. We're very clearly told that we need to be doing that. But for our purposes, we're to be a light to the world. And it's not for praise Ourselves, but rather as he says here in verse number 16, it's that they may glorify your Father in heaven. These thoughts are echoed over in First Peter chapter 2. In First Peter chapter 2 and in verse number 11, he says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Okay, similar things that we've been hearing in all these scriptures. Abstain from those things of the world. Abstain from, from the fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay, so we're to be abstaining from the things of the world, not conforming to those things, but living as a light, living an honorable in a good life, that even when they say these evil things against you, one day they will eventually glorify the father who is in heaven, even if it's not here on this earth. Yes, we're to be working to, to evangelize and to, to help convert those in the world. But even those who persecute us here on earth, one day when, when they will glorify the father. See, so we need to be that light to the world. Let people understand what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God is by the way in which we are living. See, I think that's really what he's talking about in in speaking about us as presenting ourselves as living sacrifices and, and being transformed from the world. Now, sadly, I think too many people just aren't quite willing to do that. So we need to understand the consequences as we talked about before. But, it, but I can't help but think about for, for anybody, uh, you know, of that mindset. Think about what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, in verse number 9, he says, As we have said before, so now I say again, If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See, too many people aren't willing to, to conform themselves to Christ. They're too quick to conform themselves to the world. See, but Paul, while he's specifically talking about his preaching here, I think, I think the principle of what he says there applies. If... if if we are trying to please men and live in a way that, that is acceptable and okay to all of man, we can't be a bondservant of Christ. As we read before, we make ourselves an enemy of God. How can we be a servant and his enemy at the same time? So we need to be careful. See, God desires that all should come to him, that all follow him. 2 Peter chapter 3 And verse number 9 says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, tonight the invitation is offered to any who have not begun to live for Christ, who have not begun to take their cross and to live for him. The waters of is ready behind me. If, if you need to be baptized, we, we are willing to help you with that tonight. So you can go on living your life unashamed of the gospel of Christ, unashamed that He is our Lord and Savior. Living for him, looking unto him, will baptize you here tonight if that's your need. If you need to know more about the gospel, there's, there's people here who would love to study with you. Let us do that for you. If, if you've taken your cross, if, if you've been on your way, but, but you've lost your way. If you've done so in a public manner, take care of it publicly here tonight. If it's private, take care of that right now. But if we can help you, if we can serve you, would you please come forward now while together we stand and while we sing.